The Brood 10 podcasts made possible by support from Mount St. Joseph University School of Behavioral and Natural Sciences, cultivating an understanding and appreciation of the creative and critical nature of scientific thought. Climb higher at the Mount. Learn more at msj.edu. Welcome back to the Brew 10 Cicada podcast from Cincinnati Public Radio. I'm Corey Sharber. So far in our journey into understanding our current emergence of 17-year periodical cicadas, we've learned there's no need to be afraid, and we should actually be excited about the now burgeoning emergence. Gene also has us caught up on a bit of the modern history of periodical cicadas. If you haven't listened to our first episodes, be sure to go back and check them out. But this week, it's time to get into some history. Once again, I'm joined by Dean of Behavioral and Natural Sciences, as well as a professor in the Department of Biology at Mount St. Joseph University right here in Cincinnati, and Ph.D. of Entomology, Dr. Gene Kritsky. He's ready to take me way, way back and discuss some important stages of cicada evolution. What did they tell us about our planet's past, and what might they now be warning us about our future? This is Corey Sharber from Cincinnati Public Radio. I'm here with Dr. Gene Kritsky. Gene, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Yourself? Doing great. Now we're picking up on our bug conversation like we've been doing for the past couple of weeks now. And, you know, I've, I've been wondering this whole time, you know, like we've been talking about how this, these interesting species of bugs have come about. We just think about them as these things that just sit in the ground for months and months and months until one day, all of a sudden, they just decide to pop up. But the earth has changed so much since we've even discovered these things. When did they first appear on the planet? Well, cicadas uh, are being piercing, sucking insects belong to the order Hemiptera. And within that order, there is a super family of cicadas, true cicadas and hairy cicadas. And we have the first hairy cicadas early in the Mesozoic when the dinosaurs were first appearing. And then we have uh, uh, the possibility of cicada nymphs 110 million years ago during the Cretaceous. And what, what separates a, a true cicada from a hairy cicada? Is it just appearance or is there an actual difference in the species they, themselves? They look superficially similar, but the hairy cicadas are more pubescent. They've got more small hairs on them than you see with the, uh, the, the true cicadas. So how did how did they come about? Like when you know the what what was the planet like when they when they first appeared? I'd assume they must have been. Just like the bugs we see today, they must have been underground for quite some time before they emerged. We assume that they had that, that was part of their life cycle. The in fact the uh, the insect that I co-described with my colleague uh, George Pinar uh, from Oregon State uh, was a fossil cicada that dated 110 million years ago, and it was a nymph. It was a nymph that after right it crawled out of the tree and it's uh, in the egg nest and dropped to the ground, got stuck in amber. <laughs> and, and there it was until uh, we described it a few years ago. And that was uh, during the uh, late Cretaceous, 110 million years ago. Mm. And you had uh, tyrannosaurs walking around, at least tyrannosaurids, their relatives walking around, and uh, duck-billed dinosaurs and uh, the horned dinosaurs as well. How much of those early cicadas compared to the cicadas we see today? How, how much have they changed in hundreds of millions of years? Well, there are certain characteristics that allow us to define them as a family. So we have... That, that capability. The nymphs uh, are very, very similar. Indeed, it's even difficult to tell the hairy cicada nymphs from the true cicada nymphs. That's why there's a little question there. 
Uh, but uh, it's clear enough that they are indeed cicadas and that they're immatures. By the time we get into the Cenozoic, uh, during the Miocene, the, about 30 million years ago, uh, we start seeing uh, uh, cicada, true cicadas with the, the wings of indentation that we'd expect to see in, in other structures. So how did the Ice Age, you know, figure into the evolution of these cicadas? I'd assume that played a massive role, especially since the Ice Age shaped the world is, is what we know mm -hmm. today. In fact, the, uh, the common ancestor of the periodical cicadas existed 3.9 million years ago before the Ice Ages, and it was uh, evolving into our current species during the Ice Ages. And indeed, the, uh, much of the brood evolution occurred since the last Ice Age ended and the glaciers retreated northward. So did the Ice Age like pause their, their evolution process for a while? Is that, is that safe to say with my, you know, lack, with my lack of education on science? I, I wouldn't say that it paused their evolution. Uh, there, there's, we, we have good suggestions that, that the 13 year, the long life cycle may have evolved in response to the, to the ice sheets uh, and that the 17 year uh, life cycle evolved after that as they moved northward. Mm. Uh, what, what, what we do know is, for example, uh, 20,000 years ago, uh, where we're sitting now, the ice sheet was just about 25 miles north of us. Yeah. There were no yeah. cicadas here. Yeah. So as the, that glacier started moving northward, it took about 14, to, until about, about 7,000 years before it got north of Toledo. And as it moved north, the forest came with it and the cicadas came with it. And so uh, the brood 10, for example, the brood that we're concerned about, wasn't in Western Ohio before 20,000 years ago. And so that actually limited their distribution in some cases. Yeah. And, and we're thinking of, you know, the ice age and, and I don't know why it, it makes me think of climate change, just how like we went from, you know, this age of where everything was just covered in massive sheets of ice and, and I mean, not just massive sheets, glaciers of ice. And now we're looking at a period of where we're in a period of global warming, where we're seeing uh, the earth's degree increase by like one and a half every five years. How much has climate played a role in the evolution of periodical cicadas and how are they, are you even still influenced to this day by it? Certainly. The, uh, it's interesting. Periodical cicadas are insects of climate. They're, they're, they're evolved during the ice ages. And as they, the she ice sheets retreated, that influenced their distribution. And so it's not surprising to see that their life cycles and how they act today are going to be indeed uh, impacted by climate. Uh, one example, uh, prior to 1950, uh, here in Cincinnati, the average date for the, that the, cicada, the periodical cicadas would come out in big numbers was around the 28th and 29th of May. Since 1950, and especially over the last 34 years, uh, that date has moved forward to where they're now coming out around the 16th of May, almost two weeks. And that's not surprising. If you, so if you go to your, your garden center, you can actually find a map of the planting zones. And you'll notice if you compare those maps over the last 25 years that the, the zones are moving north. So plants that were planted, you know, 50 years ago are now being, uh, suitable to plant now in, in more northern latitudes. And that's not surprising then why the cicadas are coming out now two weeks earlier than they did at the turn of the last century. I've been seeing a lot of reports. Um, people have been posting on Twitter, like, f videos of, like, cicadas emerging from their gardens. I mean, and we're, we're talking about, I mean, we're seeing this at the very start of April. I, is it possible that we're going to see emergences even earlier than usual? Like we could start seeing them in March or, I mean, goodness, if things keep going the way you are, perhaps February in the near Well, it's, uh, it's, it's not just the temperature that's the trigger. The cicadas also have to mature 
to the point where they're ready to come out of the ground. So a lot of the cicadas that have been submitted to Cicada Safari uh, are of nymphs. And you can tell they're, the fact they're wearing garden gloves tell you they're digging up their garden. Yeah. And these cicadas uh, have red eyes. And they develop the red eyes the fall before the year they're going to emerge. But they still haven't developed these black patches behind the head. And so that, that happens just before they're ready to emerge. So even though people are sending in photographs of, of nymphs, they are going to come out this year. They are brood 10 cicadas, but they're not emerging. We just sort of disturbed them. And, you know, how has the increasing temperature impacted cicadas today? Is it is it impacting their their, you know, development underground or is it impacting like – changes in particular species of cicadas as well? Are there any, what are the impacts we're seeing today? Well, the one impact that I'm most interested in is the increasing temperatures contributing to their coming out four years early. And this uh, is, is uh, one of the things that's, that, that happened to be here in Cincinnati. It was back in 1991, I was uh, chair of the department and first week of class I was teaching, teaching ecology. And what's that? That's always the scientific method. And mm. of course, I was so busy because it was the first week of the semester, I hadn't planned anything. <laughs> so I decided as I'm walking into the lab, I was going to give my students this wonderful paper by Joanne White and Monty Lloyd, the two great cicada workers of, the, of that time. And it was talking about the growth difference between 13-year cicadas and 17-year cicadas. And so I asked the students to read the paper. They did. I said, now, if we were going to dig up cicadas today, four years after those eggs were laid, what stage would they be in? And I, to make it more dramatic, I had put the, had them put it on a three by five note card, their prediction. They put that in an envelope, they sealed the envelope, they signed the seal. And then I got shovels from the ground screw and we went out to the orchard and dug up cicadas. And they were bigger than they should have been. Mm. And the paper at that time said, uh, said, predicted that if they should be, if they should have molted one extra time in that first five years of life, they're going to come out after 13 years, not 17 years. This is 1991. That means they're going to come out in the year 2000. Yeah. And so that sort of set my first week's lab in my ecology class, and my evolution class for the next years. Yeah. We're going out to the, every year in the first week of class, I'm digging these things up to see what's going to happen. And even uh, went so far as to predict it at the National Entomology Meetings of the Entomological Society of America that uh, we were going to have a massive four-year acceleration of brood 10 cicadas <laughs> in the year 2000. You know, put your, put your reputation on the line. <laughs> and boy, did they come out. They came out in massive numbers. Now, that's, this is not the first time this has happened. Other times we've seen cicadas come out four years early. But in those cases, from what we have, the data we have, all of the adults got eaten by birds and predators. <laughs> wow. So they didn't survive to reproduce. This was a rather inter interesting phenomenon that we had. And uh, in those days, of course, I was using uh, uh, telephone uh, answering machines to help. It was, it was pre uh, pre-email that a lot of people had email. And I had this phone call from a woman in, uh, in uh, Mount Healthy. And she says, why are all the cicadas on my front lawn? <laughs> so my students and I went out to see, and sure enough, they were all on our front lawn. But what they were doing blew us away. They were singing. They were mating. They were laying eggs. And that was one of the first times that we've ever documented an off-cycle emergence doing that. Now, the, that leads to another problem. Will they stay 13 years? or shift back to 17 mm. years. So I'd already waited nine years to find out if they'd come out early. <laughs> I now had to wait 13 and 17 years to see what happened next. So 2013, 13 years later, no, if I worked with the fruit flies, I'd have this done in a couple months, but no, I have to work <laughs> on cicadas. Uh, go back to the sites, uh, and there were five locations where they came out in such numbers that they made it and, and uh, laid eggs. So uh, went back to the sites, and they were emerging. 
you could see tens, hundreds, maybe a night. You go back the next day, not a single mm. live cicada. They're all being eaten. Yeah. And that lasted a week. None of them survived to reproduce. So four more years. And 2017, they came out with a vengeance. <laughs> Probably also joined by more accelerated brood ten cicadas. But now, instead of having just five locations where they came out early, they came out in 33 locations early. And uh, the question that's, that leads to the climate change, how does climate trigger that? Well, it turns out cicadas count the years by noting fluid flow in trees. And that's a, in the spring of the year when the leaves come out, the, the, the water and the fluid from the xylem, that's what they're feeding on, that, that, that fluid flow is detectable by the cicadas. And that's how they count the years. Of course, what we don't know is how they remember what year it is. Yeah. So if that should happen, uh, and we have, and they're counting the trees, the, the years by the uh, fluid flow in the trees, uh, then the question is, can they get it mixed up? And we had that happen here in Cincinnati in 2006. We had a December that year where we had temperatures that reached 65 degrees Fahrenheit. And it continued into January, so much so that the trees, at the, my maples in the backyard of my house, actually budded and leaves started to come out. And then we had a hard freeze in February. They all dropped their little leaves and things that had been mm. developing. I felt that was very unfair because I had to rake leaves twice that year. <laughs> and then it comes uh, into April, Another spring, the real spring comes out. They bud out again. And in parts of eastern Cincinnati where that happened, thousands of brood 14 cicadas came out a year early because they thought 17 years had passed. There were two fluid sections that they were detected. Now, if that should happen in the first five years of growth, that could trigger that extra molt and cause them to come out four years early. And that process, what kind of a that we're looking at may help us understand why is it we find that cicada broods are often adjacent to each other, that are adjacent to each other, are four years apart. Mm. So we have brood 14, it's next to brood 10. We've got brood 9, next to 5, next to 1, and so on. So that may be some of the secrets that cicadas are finally beginning to reveal. And it's this impact of increasing temperatures and how they grow and develop. I guess we're, of course, we're starting to see some of that this year. I know, again, like I told you, like we've been seeing cicadas popping up here and there and all around, but hopefully it won't be as dramatic as an entire year in advance. Uh, but again, I, I really appreciate you for all your time today. I really can't wait to talk more about these cicadas. Thank you so much, Gene. You're welcome. Glad to be here. We hope you're enjoying listening to this podcast as much as I'm enjoying talking to Gene about cicadas. And one way you can take part in the show is emailing us at broodx, as in the Roman numeral 10, at wvxu.org with any questions or comments related to our conversations. One of those questions comes from Lori. She says here, quote, I have a number of young trees in my yard, such as redbuds planted last year, and some older but small trees, which are Japanese maples. I can't cover them all with netting. Any help on what I should prioritize? How serious is the damage to young trees? Well, Laurie, uh, the if you can't easily cover them with netting, they're probably going to be okay. It's very small trees that you're mostly concerned about, and they're probably not the only trees in your yard, so more likely the cicadas will be evenly distributed throughout all this uh, branches. So it's not likely you're going to be guaranteed that you're going to have so much damage that they're, it's going to destroy those trees. So again, if they're, if the tree's five feet or more in height, don't worry about it. Thanks for listening to the Brew 10 Cicada Podcast. Our thanks as always to our guest expert, Gene Kritzke. 
You can learn more and assist Gene's cicada mapping efforts by visiting cicadasafari.org. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. You can send questions and comments for Gene or our team either in writing or by recording a voice memo and emailing them to broodx at wvxu.org. You can also use the Talk to Us feature on the WVXU app. Your question or comment could be used on a future episode. This podcast is produced by Josh Elstro with additional support and web assistance from Kevin Reynolds and Jim Nolan. For Cincinnati Public Radio, I'm Corey Sharber, and you've been listening to the Brew 10 Cicada Podcast. We'll talk again next week. Mm-hmm.